Welcome to Attorneys Are Human 2, Episode 19, The Associates Whisper, featuring Frank Ramos Esquire. I'm your host, Steve Wallace. We're joined by our co-host, Alina Music. We're both of the Wallace Law Group. Let's get right to it. We have a true treat today. We have Frank Ramos, who's the managing partner of Clark Silvergate in Miami. Hi, Frank. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Hi, Frank. How is Hello. it in Miami? <laughs> uh, it's warm and wet. <laughs> yeah, we're about uh, an hour north of you in, in Boynton Beach, so we share the climate and the, the constant rain during our rainy season. That's right. That's right. Okay, so my first question for you, which a lot of folks know, and you're a very well-regarded attorney in South Florida, what made you decide to become a lawyer? You know, I've been practicing now for about 23 years growing up. I grew up in Chicago, actually, Mm -hmm. and watched a lot of the lawyer shows back then and was intrigued by it. And I grew up in a working class family and they wanted me to be a doctor, lawyer, accountant, or engineer. So those were my four options I decided to go into law. Went, we moved down here to Miami in 86, went to high school, college, and law school here. I actually met my wife in college, and we've been married now for about 26 years. Oh, that's and excellent. Boys who are 22 and 19. Both of them are studying music, actually, at Florida State and UM, respectively. It's something I've always wanted to do, and so I pursued it here, went to University of Miami Law School, and been practicing since 97. Okay, great. Yeah, you're a couple years ahead of me. I graduated in 1999 and I've moved to Florida in 2002. So I've been licensed in Florida since 2002. Can you walk us through a little bit of your career? Have you always been at Clark Silvergate or or where did you get your start? I started a firm called Hinshaw and Colbertson. It's a national Mm -hmm. defense firm based out of Chicago. And that was Mm -hmm. sort of what attracted me to it, having come from Chicago and worked there throughout law school and worked there a little under a year. Big firm. I don't think I was a big firm lawyer and ended up going to the firm I'm at now, which is a small litigation boutique firm. I've been there ever since. And we do a mix of commercial products, employment, and other types of litigation. That's all we do. We just do litigation. We don't do corporate or divorce or bankruptcy or anything else like that or real estate. And I've been here ever since. We were a few blocks away and, and we've been in our current building since 2001 uh, near Brickell, which is like the financial district here in Miami. And I'm in my office. We've been back in our offices since June, COVID, and we've been socially distancing and we wear a mask when we're in common areas. We've been pretty much back to normal for a while. And so we're pretty grateful for that. We occasionally go in for closings, but we're social distancing and everything like that. Has your practice changed because of COVID or the way that you're practicing law or doing things? It has. I think it's changed for all of us in the sense that we all had to become very Uh, technologically savvy very quickly. And I've done depositions and mediations and hearings via Zoom, much like we're doing now. And I know colleagues have tried cases via Zoom. And at least in Dade County, I don't believe any courthouses are opening up on the civil side, at least until next year. But things are going forward. That's the same in Palm Beach County and as well as the bankruptcy courts. We practice in bankruptcy court in Palm Beach, Broward and Dade, and nothing's really opening up. Yeah, um, and I, I suspect a lot of the judges actually prefer Zoom. I, I think they don't like having a full courtroom. I don't think they want to, I'm sure they want to get back to their, their courtrooms, but I don't think they want to have a room full of lawyers. And I've heard from several judges that even after things return to normal, at least when they can, I think you know Zoom may become the new normal. These online hearings may become the new normal. Obviously, uh, trying cases really isn't great on Zoom. I've had different people tell me and share it with 
with me their experiences and overall I don't think they're super excited about doing zoom trials you can't interact with the jury you can't interact with the witnesses but in terms of these hearings I've had some mediations I've settled them during zoom depositions I've done through zoom and overall it's not exactly like being in person but it, it's pretty close and I think clients who have to pay our travel and our hotel expenses or anything else are going to probably lean on us after things return normal to continue doing as much of online as we can. So I think that's part of the new reality that we're all dealing with. And also for a while we were remote just as you guys are still remote and you learn that you can run an office remotely. I think a lot mm -hmm. of lawyers thought that was impossible. And I think we've all learned that it is very possible and certain positives to that being able to cut down on, on travel, on traffic, on costs in terms of dry cleaning and meals and mm -hmm. office space, a lot of positives about remote work. What are your thoughts on having just motion count, like non-evidentiary motions on, on Zoom? I agree. I think a lot of court uh, houses and courtrooms had to invest on Zoom and, and they've paid for the platform and they've trained people on how to use the platform. And everybody's used to the platform now that startup cost is behind us. And it's real tempting for judges and their staff to say, you know, what, let's just stick with this whenever we can. Find that it's different for your clients? Are you having meetings with clients via Zoom as well? Or are they just still coming into the office wearing masks? No, we're doing a lot more calls on Zoom. We're spending a lot more time uh, discussing and speaking with clients via Zoom. And I think clients prefer that. I don't think clients have any strong interest in coming to our office and dealing with traffic and paying for parking, even if we reimburse them for it, and, and spending half a day getting here and leaving. They'd much rather have a set time. They call into a Zoom call. We speak with them for however long we need to talk to them for and they're done and we're done and it takes less time for everybody involved. So I, I really think that this, this is the new normal that even when things return, uh, a lot of us are going to continue doing a lot of what we've been doing. Selena, you're a resident millennial. What are your thoughts on it? You, <laughs> we, we haven't met any clients in person since before COVID. So I personally, I'm not the most social like the two of you. So I enjoy uh, interacting via Zoom versus in person. I prefer it. I, I think Zoom and FaceTime, technology has made it so easy. It, it, it's, people have this misconception that it's going to be so hard to get on a Zoom call or I have to know about technology. And it's very simple. I don't recommend driving. I think get on a Zoom call. We can discuss everything face to face. And it's very easy. I, I, I feel like it should, this should be the norm always. I felt this way before COVID. <laughs> I'm always complaining in the office telling Stephen, I think the whole court system needs to just be updated. I agree. I think te with technology, a lot of the antiquated uh, processes, as well as just the time. When I have to go from my house to court in Miami and make it by 9.30 in the morning, it's, it's just so stressful. I'm in the car for two hours. I lose two hours of my day. And when I used to work at, I used to work at a large firm in Fort Lauderdale, I would commute from Palm Beach County to Fort Lauderdale. Again, I'd be in the car for about an hour and a half. So all of these technology, I, mean, I, get, I get an hour and a half to two hours of my life back. What are your thoughts on that, Frank? No, I agree. I, it takes like about a half hour, 40 minutes to drive in, another half hour, 45 minutes to drive back. It's nice for those days where we're working from home to get that hour and a half back. You don't have to dress nicely if you're working from home unless you have some client calls you don't have to run off to grab lunch and just walk six feet to the refrigerator it's a huge substantial saving in time 
And I think for larger firms who have a large footprint in terms of real estate, it's something for them to think about when they renew their leases. Do they need that much space? Can they share offices? Can they have smaller conference rooms? What are some of the things they can do to reduce that overhead? Because I think after payroll, usually one's leases is the second biggest you know, line item in your budget. So do you even need a lease or do you just need a, a conference room space you go into maybe once a month or twice a month? Those are all things that I would consider. And again, I just think technology is so advanced. I wouldn't be surprised if going forward, there's going to be some type of virtual offices. Yeah, like WeWorks, which I guess they had their own issues unrelated mm -hmm. to what was going on, but that could be very much a much more predominant model going in the future where you, especially with smaller firms who are used to now doing things remotely, like do we really need to have space at all? Can we just rent space when we need to have a deposition or a uh, That's something client? Celine and I are playing around with right now. At least for the short term, we're going to retain our office, but it, it's something certainly, you're a small, a small to mid-sized firm. One of the things that keeps both of us competitive against those large firms is the fact that our overhead is lower. I think I started practicing in 97 and man, things were really different then. We had fax machines, emails mm -hmm. weren't that pro prominent. We had books, we had law libraries, yep. our firm had a law library. Uh, if we didn't have a book in our law library, we went to the local law school or Dade County Library. We sent letters to each other and then we spent a week to respond to them. It, what, what a weird world and things have changed. And the idea that we can now, and if you had told me back then, oh yeah, we're gonna just be talking to each other through our computers and having, <laughs> our, you know, or arguments virtually, I'm like, what does that even mean? I, don't, I, don't, I have no idea, I, I can't even compute that. And so the change has been dramatic. And I think for whatever reason, the legal industry always seems to fall behind other industries in terms of catching up to technology. And if there's any silver lining to COVID, and there are few, but if there is one, it's the fact that it really beat us over the head and made us, made us very technologically savvy. So there's that benefit to it all. I definitely and agree. I, I feel like all we need now is for the court system, the judicial system to catch up. And even, and I say that even when it pertains to software in the legal industry, it's not very compatible to multiple platforms it's not com or it's not compatible on the courts end and they can't you have to send it in a certain format for me it's just all a waste of time and, and working from home at least for me i can say it, it has increased productivity just because i can't sit still i think steven knows that or i'm just <laughs> like i gotta do what are, you, what, what are we doing and i'm like emailing steven in the middle of the night i'm sure he's what is this girl doing so it's breaking up my Netflix watching. That's what it <laughs> and we'll, we'll get to that later, Frank. Okay, so you're the managing partner of Clark Silvergate. And can you give our listeners, we have a lot of attorney listeners, both small firms, both associates, young, mid-career. mid, mid, mid So could you take us in, in, in behind the curtain and what exactly does a managing partner of a small to mid-sized firm do? Yeah, for a small mid-sized firm, managing partners dealing with HR issues, dealing with sort of administrative issues, and it's working with the team to develop a business plan to expand the firm's work and bring in new clients and keep the current clients happy and ensure that work product is strong and well done. And that's managing partners, an odd title, because I think if you're a small firm, you're wearing lots of hats, and the smaller the firm, you're 
the boss and you're the managing partner, you're the administrative partner, everything in between. So I don't think it's all that different than people who run their own small firms. But I think the predominant issue in this current environment, if you're leading a firm, no matter what your title you have, is where's the business going to come from? There's, there was a disruption in the economy. Uh, a number of firms have had to let go of attorneys and staff. Different clients are looking at the legal spend in different ways. And I think we're all appreciating the benefits of technology and how best to use it. And so I, I strongly recommend for any firm to sit down and come up with a strategic plan for this new normal and sit down and think through what their mission, their vision, their values are, what their goals are for the next year and the year after, what uh, plan they want to put together to achieve those goals and what specific action steps they need to do to achieve that plan and then create a timetable for themselves and assign tasks to the various folks in the firm and then hold each other accountable to make sure it's accomplished. You know, And what I'm suggesting is pretty much what every company does. But again, something that law firms aren't great at doing is planning. You know, we don't see ourselves as business people. We see ourselves first as these lawyers who are professionals and we're not here to try to get clients or market or, or manage or any of those other things, but those are very important aspects of the practice. I think in, in the best advice I can give from a managing partner's perspective is to create a plan and work the plan. Okay. So just a follow-up question to that. How much of your day or week is spent towards the business aspect of law versus the actual practice of law? I think every day I do something business-oriented. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I'm active in some voluntary bar associations on any given day I'll be speaking with or exchanging emails with others involving my involvement in those organizations or my social media postings or something. I think it's, it, it, I think it makes it easier. It sounds like a bit onerous while he's doing it every day, but if you do little bits here and there every day versus doing large chunks over the weekend or one day of the week, it becomes much more manageable. And so, again, that goes back to having a plan, deciding how are we going to market our firm and develop business? Who's going to be responsible for what? What's our efforts and where we're going to put our time and our energy? And then coming up with a schedule for yourself to say, okay, on Monday, I'm going to email three people. On Tuesday, I'm going to do a social media post. On Wednesday, I'm going to work on an article. Thursday, I'm going to take that uh, committee call for that organization. Friday, I'm going to have coffee with whomever. And just create a pattern and a schedule for yourself and stick with it and give yourself maybe a half hour to an hour a day to really focus in on that. And overall, over a long time, that'll pay off in dividends. But you're actively, you have active files that you're working on. Because I know in some firms, the managing partner, all they focus on is business-oriented tasks. Yeah, I think I have a pretty active caseload. I think with smaller firms, that comes with the territory. I think larger mm-hmm. firms can afford to have sort of a management style managing partner where mm-hmm. he or she is responsible for multiple offices over maybe multiple countries. And they're dealing with conflict issues and mm-hmm. new client issues and marketing and associate training and everything else. And that takes up maybe 75 or 80% of their time. But at a smaller firm, you just don't have that luxury. You can't really set aside all that funds, just have one person running the show. I, I would say that 90% of my time is spent on actual cases and 10% is spent on managing the firm. Okay. So a- as a result of the quote unquote new normal, um, how has your firm marketing changed? Is there a couple techniques? You know, obviously we don't want to reveal the secret sauce, but are there certain things that you can share with us, marketing ideas or marketing strategies that, that you've employed during this time frame? I think everybody's gone online now. And so LinkedIn has become sort of the choice platform for business people, particularly lawyers. So 
If you're not active on LinkedIn, I'd strongly recommend it. Make sure you have a robust profile and a good professional photograph of yourself and uh, strong background information or anything. There are a bunch of criteria you can complete on your profile. You can try to complete as much of it as possible. And then reach out to people, make connections, try to contact them uh, through the messaging on LinkedIn that it offers. And then if you can, try to meet them offline. If you're, if you're not socially distancing, I just you can always meet them for coffee. I, I try to meet people for coffee when I can. If not, you can have Zoom calls like this or you can call them over the phone, but try to go beyond just a few messages on LinkedIn. And if you are gonna get involved in LinkedIn, my recommendation is that you define what your brand is, both as to your firm and individually, and come up with an area that you feel comfortable posting about on a regular basis, knowing that you're gonna be posting on that topic over the next several months or years. Like you said, you mentioned you guys do real estate and bankruptcy. You may want to take one or those two topics and then post on those issues regularly. Maybe it's recent case law or there's an order that came down by a certain judge or there's a new legislation that's going to change how we handle bankruptcy matters. And then the more you post on it, you become known as an expert in that field. Mm -hmm. And even though there may be other lawyers out there who have been practicing longer than you and maybe considered more of an expert since you are the one that is sharing your knowledge and know-how and communicating with others regularly on platforms like LinkedIn and pushing out content. Uh, you're probably going to be seen more of an expert than others and you're going to probably get business that way. You're certainly going to uh, create buzz for yourself. You're going to solidify your brand. You're probably going to have people to vote for you on these various sites where they call you the best lawyer or super lawyer or whatever else because they just see your name associated with that practice area all the time, which helps with the cachet of who you are in your firm. So uh, I'd recommend doing that. I'd recommend putting on online seminars or webinars. Mm -hmm. You guys are doing this podcast, which is great. Yep. Another thing is maybe creating your own sort of BNI type group which I have once a month where I basically have opened it up to lawyers in Florida and we get together, I think the last Thursday every month. Oh, and we'd, we'd love of, to, we'd love to join you if we may. Yeah. yeah. Send me a yeah. message after this. And then basically what we do is that we introduce ourselves. We've only been doing this for a few months, but we introduce mm -hmm. ourselves and every month we have one of the lawyers talk about his or her practice and give like the insight about what they do, but more to have us better understand that practice area. Fascinating. Yeah. So that's a great idea. Yeah, so it's something else if you know, and anybody can do that. If you have a social following mm -hmm. on Facebook or LinkedIn or some other platform, you can just send out a message to folks saying, I'm an attorney and I want to put together, create a Zoom call, a monthly Zoom call uh, mm -hmm. of other lawyers in our area. We, I do it statewide. Uh, yeah. We can do it in Miami or do it in Boynton mm -hmm. Beach or you can do it in Palm Beach, wherever, you, wherever you're located. And then just, and, and I don't know if you necessarily have to cap it, because what happens is, is that different people are available in different months. You know, we yeah, sure. Know, I think we have a total of 20 people, and I think we've never had more than a dozen folks show up in any given call. It's never the same people. So, you know, it works out that way. Just being a Zoom call, I think that people treat a little bit more informally. And so people yeah. maybe are, you know, like they don't feel like if they can't make, it's not that big of a deal. Um, yeah, so it works out pretty well. So that's another thing you can do. Try to create opportunities for yourself. Try to create ways that you're bumping and reaching out to and talking to folks who have the potential for you matters. And, and then on a parallel track, try to promote yourself so that people can yep. appreciate you and come to see you as an expert in your field. So we've tried, and thank you, Frank, that was excellent. We, during the pandemic, obviously being locked up, we've done, we've improved a lot of things with our social media. I've taken part in a couple LinkedIn challenges 
put on by a couple different folks and doing, I've done some webinars and, uh, but you've given me, given us some great ideas and we, we appreciate that. And certainly we don't compete with each other. We're in a totally different realm. So the, my follow-up question to that is I, I thought I was really good because I have about 6,000 uh, LinkedIn connections. You have 51,000 at least, right? <laughs> how in the world, how many hours a day are you on LinkedIn to, to get that number? I'm not on that much, actually. Yeah. What I do is that about four years ago, and I think I want to say maybe a little bit more than four years now, I forget exactly when I started. I started, I committed to posting daily on LinkedIn that included weekends and holidays. And mm-hmm. I, I committed to making at least one post a day. And lately I do maybe more than one post. Mm-hmm. And the more you post, the easier it is to post, the more ideas you generate. You know, at yep. first you're posting, you're like, oh, what am I going to say? What am I going to share? And I don't have anything to talk about. I remember that LinkedIn posts are limited to 1,300 characters. It's not that much. And you don't have to use the full 1,300 characters. Most of my posts are only a few sentences long. Uh, I don't really share that many articles, so you can do that on LinkedIn. I, I occasionally, I'll show, I share a video, which has become much more popular. I'll share articles or certainly... If, I've been on a podcast or I've done a podcast myself. I'll share links to those. Uh, but typically what I'll do is that my posting has evolved. A lot of my posts are geared toward younger lawyers. It's a lot of how-to stuff, you know, hard and soft skills. And then I, probably in the last year to year and a half, I've done a lot more inspirational, motivational posts to young lawyers, especially in light of COVID. A lot of folks are struggling to land jobs and stay in jobs. And so I've been trying to be more inspirational when I can, but it doesn't, once you get into the habit, it takes about maybe a month to get into this habit where you're posting every day. If you have the app on your phone, which is what I recommend. I have it on when, when, yeah, when you're in line at the supermarket, you can come up with something when mm-hmm. you're at a red light and you, know, you may just jot something down when you're waiting for a hearing, when you're waiting for a deposition, when you're waiting for your dry cleaning. It's amazing how much time we waste in a given day. That if you were to just say, oh, I'm going to use that time to dedicate to social media. And LinkedIn is probably the d- default, but if you want to do Facebook or, or other platforms, that's fine as well. You can easily find the time to do it without actually restructuring your schedule at all. You can post once or twice a day and, and it won't be new time. It'll be time that you basically already have, but that you're using you're basically just wasting because you're waiting on something or you're doing something and you're just basically waiting those few minutes to get to whatever you're actually trying to get to do. So you're the associate whisperer. We're just looking at your bio. You've written about more than 15 books and a variety of different articles, motivationally, how to succeed as an associate and a young lawyer. Could you elaborate a little bit on that? And how did you pick that topic? I think that's an amazing topic. I think having not practiced, I guess, 23 years or so, you realize that Everybody needs a mentor, and most of us need multiple mentors, and a lot of firms don't do a great job mentoring for a variety of reasons. Now, I'm not trying to cast aspersions, but we're all busy. We all have to bill hours or generate revenue, and you can't bill for mentoring. And so a lot of firms aren't geared toward training young lawyers. And when you're a young lawyer, it's very overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're constantly thinking you're screwing something up. You're upsetting a client. You're worried about deadlines. You think you're going to upset somebody. You didn't ask a question needed to in deposition. You didn't argue whatever you want to argue in the motion. It's just, and it adds up and it's very stressful. And well, it doesn't positive. change as you get an older lawyer, but you have a more of a handle of it. But you're always, there's always some concern somewhere. But I think as, as you do it more, you realize 
that doesn't really matter as much. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Not to suggest that what we do doesn't matter, but you have a much better sense of self and confidence mm-hmm. and experience. And you realize that sometimes things fall through cracks and, and you'll be fine. Unless you miss the statute of limitations or a deadline for some filing for an appeal. You, you, there are a few things we do in terms of mistakes that we can't rectify. That's what I tell my staff and my, we've had associates at our firm before that For the most part, we can fix it. Don't do it, but don't make that mistake. But everything's for the most part fixable. Yeah. And I think that kind of comes with age and experience. And I've talked about that. So I I realize that there's a need. It's surprising. There are not that many resources out there for young lawyers, even now. And I started writing for young lawyers when I was very much a young lawyer myself back in 2002, I think. And I've written off and on various legal publications over the years. Now, I think I'm up to my 19th or 20th book or so. And most of them are for young lawyers. Most of them, there are a few in the pipeline they haven't been published yet, but most of them are for young lawyers. And, and coincidentally, one of them is actually called The Associate Whisper, which I think oh, is you, you I didn't know. even know that. That's- yeah, well, that hasn't come out yet, but that'll yeah. be coming out later this year. But, and so my advice basically is to pick an area that you enjoy and dig deep into it, really become a master in that area. And the more specific and fine-tune that area is the easier it is to become an expert. There's less to learn, obviously. If you want to become a cybersecurity expert, you can probably do that by 18 months as opposed to becoming an expert on product liability, which may take several years, and or if just general personal injury, which may take 10 years. You try to find a, a, a niche that works for you and really dive into it, and then spend time working on yourself, work on your writing, work on your public speaking. So much of what we do as lawyers are soft skills in terms of clients want to know that they can feel comfortable with us. And we, in order for them to feel comfortable with us, we have to be comfortable with ourselves, which means we have to be confident in ourselves. We have to express ourselves well. And there's lots of things you can do. You can join a Toastmasters, you can do, which I did for a while. You can do an improv class. I've taken a couple of those. You can take writing classes online. You can read a lot. I think it doesn't have to be about law stuff, but just being an avid reader helps you think through and, and write better and communicate better. And if you're a young lawyer, really work on yourself because it's a long career and people aren't really retiring 65 anymore. We like to think we are, but I think most lawyers I know hit 65 and they're still in their way into their 70s. They're still practicing partially because I think they want to and partially because unfortunately, financially, some of them have to. If you start your career at 25 and you're working until 70, you do the math, that's a long time. Yeah. And from Jump Street, you start thinking about what practice areas you want to focus on really become a match in those areas and speak in those areas, learn in those areas, take CLE in those areas, read blogs in those areas. And then on a concurrent level, really work on your soft skills, speaking, writing, communication, owning the room, all the things that clients look for and that will help you in other areas. I did a couple of improv classes and I found that really helped me when I argued motions or took depositions or went to trial, because you really have to learn how to think on your feet. And improv and trying cases seem to be on two ends of the spectrum, but they actually are the opposite opposite sides of the same coin. Pursue those opportunities and really take advantage of them. How, How did you, and just to ask, but why did you go into the type of law that you do? Just because I've met many other attorneys who say, well, I went into this because I can make a lot of money. And then there's the, the other opposite where it's, we had someone on the podcast who said, I, I do this because it's my passion. It's not about the money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you have to find something you enjoy. And then you have to find a firm that does that work and enjoys it as well. And then will treat you well, will mentor you, which is a lot to ask. A lot of don't have that benefit. 
So one, you gotta pick an area that you think you're gonna enjoy, and you may ultimately find out you don't. But you know, you, you, you take your best guess based on what you think you'll enjoy. And, and a good way of trying to figure that out is before you join a firm, is to talk to lawyers in that practice area, invite them to coffee, invite them to breakfast, and pick their brain, ask them what a normal day or week or month or year is. And you may find out that it's what you want to do, or it may not be. So you have to do your own due diligence, going beyond just reading about firms, what they do, you really want to sit down with lawyers and have sort of a heart to heart with them and figure out why they like what they do. And some may not, some may say like, you know, I went into this and I know. I've met, okay. a lot of, I've met a lot of attorneys who have said, I don't know why I did this. Right. Or, yeah, that's, you know, that's common. I've grown into my shoes as a lawyer. I think early on in my career, I wasn't really happy with being a lawyer. And I think in the last few years, partially because I've been given the opportunity, or actually I should say I sought it out to help others that I've enjoyed it a lot more. I, I, I think if we go beyond ourselves and we find ways to help our clients and help others in the community, it makes it that much more pleasurable and rewarding. And that makes every, makes the drudgery part of the work a lot easier to deal with. Whatever job we have, it's, it's called a job and work for a reason. Obviously, nobody wants to prepare a discovery. Nobody wants to deal with an obstetrics opposing counsel. Nobody wants to deal with deadlines. That's just but that's part of the job. So you have to try to find other things in the job that offset it. And if you can't, then you really have to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Go back to why you went to law school, why you took the bar, why, why you, you know, like, wh what were you thinking of doing back then? You know, what were you thinking your normal day would be like? And, uh, and most times it's salvageable. Most times you're like, you realize if I only had this other outlet or if I was pursuing this type of case or handling those types of clients, all the tough stuff would be a lot easier to deal with. That's, that's very good advice. So uh, my last question related professionally, and then we're going to shift gears a little bit and ask you a couple pop culture questions. And then Celine will close us down with the lightning round, which is this or that without any <laughs> thought, which would, that's our, our niche. So just my final question, just because this is something that's always difficult. How do you handle an attorney on the opposing counsel on the other side that really puts basically has this case, like it's their personal money that's on the line that, you know, is so offended and so personal in the matter. And oftentimes is extremely difficult to work with. That's I always my challenge. I only laugh because I feel like I know who Stephen <laughs> is talking about. Well, that's three or four different people, but all, all and in they, one. And yes, they take it so personal, like it's an attack on their character. You know, generally when I have a new case with a lawyer I haven't worked with before, I make a point to call him or her and introduce myself and try to see if just some personal things so we can have personal conversations. Early on in the case, she'll know what type of lawyer you're dealing with. I, I think I want to say that, that I deal with fewer and fewer lawyers over the last few years that are like that. There's a point in my career where I had several lawyers who were just really obnoxious and I didn't know what to do with. And then I've been pretty fortunate that it hasn't been the case as often later in my career, and may, I, I might just be lucky. I just in terms of maybe. I think you're lucky because yeah. it seems to me that w we get probably out of five to ten cases, we'll have two of them that are like that fit that category. Yeah, I recommend for lawyers to call opposing counsel and just have more casual conversations, and they may not want to take you up on it, but you should try and, mm -hmm. and then obviously document everything when you email back and forth and try not to get baited. Because generally what I, what, I, what I found when I looked at these email chains, and I can generally tell where things turn south pretty quickly. And they're just trying to lob grenades and try to pull you into the mud. And it's really hard not to go there. And if you can diffuse a situation as much as you don't want to, and after a while you just kind of get frustrated, you want to take a shot of your own. But 
for your own mental health if just you don't have to win. Like I, I don't perceive these communications as winners and losers. I just honestly have to be time. Yeah, it's a waste of time if you're blame by the hour. Clients are wondering why you're spending a half hour, an hour exchanging emails with opposing counsel for yeah. something that should have taken a point one or point two. Yeah. So I typically just don't go there. And not it's, to say I've it's never- always about it's always about discovery or scheduling. That seems right. to me the ones that are Okay, just one follow-up on that, and then we'll get to the fun stuff. The good thing is, I'm very good at keeping record, yeah, so I always have a ton <laughs> of documentation. Right. We have a separate folder in Dropbox for the those communications. <laughs> so the last question, and I'm sorry, I, want, I know the, the pop culture stuff is the fun stuff. So one of the things that we've seen in the last few years is that the Florida Bar has a larger commitment to mental health and wellness. And I'm just curious about your thoughts, because I can tell you that as it relates to our industry versus others, we have a higher indice of alcohol and drug abuse. We have higher suicide rates. We have higher mental health issues. But we're still a macho industry where we look down upon folks that aren't seeking treatment or aren't trying to better themselves and in, as it relates to their wellness. So I'm just curious about your thoughts, because you're responsible for a whole bunch of folks, not just yourself at your firm. Yeah, it's curious how the Florida Bar has been much more proactive regarding mental health, but they still have certain restrictions when you apply for the Florida Bar itself. And now close of a look they take about any mental health counseling that one's had, I find a curious dichotomy. But no, I agree. I think our profession is one that lends itself to suicide and depression and anxiety and to various addictions, alcoholism, drug abuse, and everything else, because it's very confrontational. Sometimes the, least, the last person you think is suffering from depression is a cro- someone in very serious condition. I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Reverend Gonzalez who took his life, I want to say about three or four years ago. Uh, he was actually a mentor of mine. And I always kind of emulated him in the sense that he was one of the early believers in the internet and pushing out content. And he had his own website separate apart from his own firm and where he shared articles and all sorts of things. And he's written several books for the Florida Bar and litigation skills. He's one of the preeminent trial lawyers out there and I don't think he, he ever turned down a call in terms of anybody seeking his help or assistance and and probably won more cases, high end cases than anybody I know on the plaintiff side and then took his life one day and no one knew. And uh, and apparently he was suffering from chronic depression for years. And if there's somebody in your office who's somewhat withdrawn or they've changed their behavior, uh, either they're adding erratically or they're sullen or withdrawn, talk to them, try to find or help them get help because one never knows what's going on in somebody else's life. And it doesn't have to be anything actually going on in your life. It doesn't have to be a death or a loss of a job or some health issue. It could just be mental health. They just may be suffering from chronic depression or anxiety. And from everybody else's vantage point, they, you would think, oh, they're doing great. They have a good job. They have a happy family. They go on cool vacations. Why would they be depressed? Why would they take their own lives? And depression is an illness like anything else. And I think the more we discuss it and keep that open and realize that it's not just feeling down. It could be very serious. I think each of us has a responsibility to our own t- team and our teammates to keep an eye on them. And, and if things look like something's changing in their lives to, you know, within whatever is appropriate to sub- intervene and talk to them and make sure they get the help they need. That's great. Selena, what, what kind of pop culture questions do we want to ask Frank? Okay. I have a pop culture question. Since- All right. This is Attorneys Are Humans too. What is your favorite, if any, law or criminal law television show on the air or even off? 
So we have Law and Order, we have NCIS, we have Forensic Files. We have a lot. Yeah, I used to love watching Law and LA Law when it came on. I think oh, it was yeah. College then. I forget when I was. And I loved that show. I think it was on, it's actually on for 10 or 11 seasons. It was on for a while. Like as law, a kid, I, not Law and Order? My wife loves Law and Order. She's not a lawyer, but she loves Law and Order. And it's interesting because it's both a police procedural and a legal thriller all in one hour. So, And then you have so many offshoots. You have all the other versions SVU. of Law and Order. Yeah, SVU. yeah I, I like Lincoln Lawyer. Something about Matthew McConaughey and a Lincoln and that yeah, Southern accent. I love that. I read all the books. And it's, why do I, sp- I do this all day? And then I spend my free time <laughs> reading legal books? What's up with that, right? Yeah, the movie came out in 2011. And it was just yeah. a fascinating movie because you had him... And, whether it's Rainmaker or all these other movies, you always have this dichotomy between this lawyer who's a great trial lawyer, then he has or her or she's having all these personal issues yeah. and personal dramas, and somehow they can keep them separate, which I, I don't think is very realistic, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, they're fascinating stories. I asked because I, I had a lawyer tell me once, lawyers don't watch those shows because we can decipher it too easily. Oh, I like those shows. They come, it's like, it's like fantasy land. Okay. My question for you, Frank, is when you were a, a teenager or a child, what was your celebrity crush? And if, and what is your celebrity crush now, if you have one? Oh, who's my celebrity crush? I, you know, I don't know if I had one, to be honest. I don't try to think that would have been back in the late eighties. Mm-hmm. Oh, you definitely had a crush in the eighties. I'm not sure I did. I, I <laughs> Come on, I Kelly did. Bundy. That was mine. <laughs> Oh, that's uh, Applegate, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. I, I actually don't remember. I don't really, I don't know. I, I don't really have a good answer for that. I'm not trying to be coy. No one's really coming to mind. Oh, that's fine. He had so many, he can't choose one. <laughs> right, that's true. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Okay, let's ask one more each, and then we'll go to the lightning round. And we appreciate you taking time out of your day. Oh, absolutely. Us, right? yeah, this is a lot of fun. Okay, here's a, another question. What, and, and I'm all about the shows, so what, what shows have you been binging on, if any, during COVID with, or with your or family show or movie with your family? What have you recently watched that you said, oh, wow, I can't believe I've never watched this because I'm always working? There's a new show out called The Way with Hilary Swank, which actually came out very recently. And it is a very realistic uh, portrayal of the first manned mission to Mars. And it's a group of five astronauts. And it's, I think, I want to say 10 episodes, each about an hour long. And it's not overly melodramatic. It doesn't involve aliens. It's not, you know, hypersleep. It's a very realistic depiction of what the first manned mission to Mars would be. And I thought it was a very good show. It's a 10, 10 hours long show, and it's a commitment. I, I find myself watching a lot of documentaries on Netflix and Amazon Prime. Mm. And I've been watching a lot of shows on politics. I've been reading a lot of books on politics. I've been like a new Trump book every two or three oh, days. One of those documentaries, Tiger King? I did watch that back, back when it came out. I watched, my, my wife really enjoyed it. I think now there's a new Tiger King documentary on Annie that they're trying to find the body as, of that woman's uh, ex-husband or something. But. And she's going to be on Dancing with the Stars for next season. That's right. So that's right. Gonna... <laughs> I'm sure. I think she's going to be one of the first ones voted off. But, you know, yeah. We'll see. Okay, my last pop culture question, and this is a common question on our show, is who is the basketball goat, Michael Jordan or LeBron James? I grew up in Chicago, so I have to say Jordan. Okay, all right. Yeah. All right, take it's us home. Wait, I have one more, okay? Just okay. because everyone's doing all these Zoom meetings, right. and I always wonder, are people wearing pajamas, even pants, when they're on Zoom? 
I think a lot of people are wearing shorts or leggings or jeans. I I've noticed a few. Are you in your pajamas? When I'm in my office, I'm wearing my I'm wearing my my slacks. But I've noticed a few times where people have had to get up to deal with children or pets, and they're like, "Oh, wait a minute, professional on top and party on the bottom." So okay, Selena, take us home with the lightning round. All right, the lightning round. So I'm going to ask you. It's going to be this or that questions. It's just uh, not even questions. Just this or that. You choose what appeals to you the most and it just helps us get to know you a little bit better so pizza or burgers pizza okay winter or summer summer chicago pizza or new york pizza a chicago pizza that's the first we've heard on this show yeah again i grew up in chicago remember remember i said i judge (laughs) giardello's pizza duo all all great places Sorry, we didn't hear the last one, Selena. Oh, Batman or Superman? Uh, Batman. Everyone's all for Batman. Okay, I'm, this is blowing well, my mind. I like Batman, except when Ben Affleck played him. I didn't really <laughs> like that, but. Okay, and my last one was that, actually. Christian Bale or Ben Affleck as Batman? Oh, definitely Christian Bale. All right, excellent. That Thank includes. you so much. Thank you so much. You, you, you've <laughs> provided our listeners so much knowledge. We've had the privilege of being with the Associate Whisperer. Well, thanks for, for having me. <laughs> Frank, how do we find you online? Uh, the best place is LinkedIn. It's Frank Ramos at Talk Silverblade. Just type in Frank Ramos and I should just come up. Um, I can't accept any more connections, but you're welcome to follow me. And then all my books are under my publications. If you have a LinkedIn profile, you're probably familiar with it. It's all the way at the bottem. Just keep scrolling do, yeah. down. LinkedIn publications and almost all the books are free. So you can just you know, download them. They're PDFs. Excellent. Thank you so much. Hopefully we maybe will have you on in the future for just yeah. to hear from you about what's happened post-COVID, post-COVID. And that's right. We'd love to have you and stay safe out there. And thank you so much. Likewise. And we really appreciate you being on the show. All right. Great. Great seeing you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Attorneys Are Human 2. Please subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast host. Please also leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and we look forward to seeing you next time.